0: Welcome to the FE Research Podcast with Jo and Alistair, a podcast that aims to shine a light on the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education.
1: There are five things that need to be in place for FE-based research to thrive, to absolutely thrive, because FE is an ecosystem. Things feed off each other. You've got government policy, you've got the site, you've got the teachers, you've got all sorts of things going on. And if some of those aren't aligned, it makes it very, very difficult to happen.
0: Hello and welcome to the FE Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher Saxon, and uh, my um, other half in podcast world is.
2: It's Alistair Smith. <laughs> Hello, Joe.
0: How, how are you, Alistair?
2: Not too bad, thank you very much. We're recording
0: this on a very hot day. Are you melting?
2: It's very warm and I've had to turn the fan off so that we can record and uh, not have the audio in there.
0: So things could get very hot in many ways during this podcast. Right, well, our our special, special uh, guest today. We have a doctor in the house, the one and only Dr. David Powell. How are you?
1: I'm all right but just to be clear I don't do medical emergencies I can talk about aspects of educational research but when they make that announcement on the plane I don't put my hand up is there a doctor on the plane Well, if you'll anybody get me...
0: gets a nasty rash on their pedagogy you'll be there with the ointment indeed
1: you? indeed yeah. applying it liberally don't <laughs> it
0: absolutely okay well you know uh, we're not going to say too much about you we're going to let you um, okay uh, tell us all about yourself but succinctly David because people who know you may appreciate yeah. going to be succinct um, I'm going to hand over to Alistair actually and he's going to um, guide you through the first half of the questions today
2: okay well thanks for joining us David so it, it is it's a straight over to you really with a, to tell us a little bit about yourself and and your role and kind of what you're doing in your fields of study as well if you can for
1: us Uh, Absolutely fine, and thanks for asking me. It's a delight to tell you about some of my work and give you my perspective on um, FE-based research. So um, if we'd spoken in March, um, pre-lockdown, then I would have told you I was the director of the Education Training Consortium, which is based at the University of Huddersfield and it's the largest further education, initial teacher education partnership in the country with about 20 FE colleges, 700 in-service and pre-service trainees, on a BA, Education and Professional Development Programme, which your colleague, Alistair uh, Gavin Knox did, didn't he? So, um, so I, I've been involved in that until quite recently. And part of that work was really um, managing the partnership and particularly supporting the uh, professional development to teacher educators, including Developing their ability to undertake research, so M-level or doctoral-level qualifications, and supporting them to do research projects and things like that. And I, we can talk a bit more about that later. But in April, at the start of April, I stepped down from that role, and took a reduced role at the university. And I now work one and a half days a week, uh, help my dad the rest of the time. And if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see my dad tweets. And um, and I've returned to become a senior lecturer in teacher education at the university. And what that involves basically is I train the university-based teachers how to teach. I teach um, a module on action research at M level, so I support uh, teachers and trainers and people working in earlier settings how to do research proposals. I supervise at the moment I'm supervising a couple of doctoral students who are FE-based, and they're doing some classroom-based research, which you might want to talk about a bit later. And I also supervise M-level students to do research in in FE. And alongside that, I'm part of the Association of Teacher Education in Europe. I'm on their administrative council and I'm co-chair of the professional development in teacher education, research and development community. And that work gets me involved in going around talking this country. Uh, and also overseas to people about research and um, in fact this about probably eight months ago i was in seville in spain talking to the deans and directors of education there about teacher development and career trajectories so that's a little bit of a summary and i gave you my previous life because that informs some of the uh, the answers i tend to give that's my history really
2: yeah no that's great well obviously you've had a uh, huge involvement with um, practitioner research at, at mm-hmm. various levels of study so i think one of the really interesting questions we'd like to ask you about is um if you've seen any kind of powerful impact impacts of practitioner research taking place um and if there are any kind of particular topics or themes that are very kind of popular or, or emerge at, at various
1: times well i think there's two interesting questions and let's, let's try and uncouple them shall we okay talking about powerful impacts of and, and I'm just reading at the moment, or just finished reading, Laura Spinney's Pale Rider book. And, and what the point that is made in that really is it's difficult to judge at the time whether something is impactful or powerful. It's often very difficult. History judges it, and we need to judge it from a distance. So something that seems to work quickly, is it still working in two, three, five years' time? Or is it a quick fix? What we might call, I say we, I would call, and I'm using my colleague James Avis's work here, answerism, where somebody quickly solves a problem, but actually it solves it for a short period of time. And instead of it being a really fundamental change, a shift, a rebuilding of something, over time actually they have to go back and repair it and change it again. So I'm being cautious. I can talk about some examples from OTLA in, in a minute. Um, you know uh, around that Uh, but I'll then come on and talk about you know what type of in research do I think is important I'm only really interested in classroom-based research i.e what goes on in the classroom Mm -hmm. I'm very I'm not really interested in people telling me about what they do in the classroom I'm interested in what happens in the classroom and what I mean by that is I like filming people teach because well, most classrooms are privatized. And what I mean by, oh, actually, I'm sorry, I'm borrowing from Stephen Chemist there, you'll be used to that Joe, you know how I like Stephen Chemist's work. But most classrooms are privatized. And, and the only time people see into them, really, are through some sort of um, quality assurance system. We very rarely really research them. And my doctorate used a technique called stimulated recall interview, where what happened is I filmed some teacher educators teaching, and then we sat down and watched the film of the class. And rather than me go through and say, oh, you seem to be doing this and that, I said to them, I'd like you to stop the film in three or four places and tell me about what you've been doing. Tell me about your practice. Help me see into your pedagogical decision-making, because that's what I'm interested in. Why people do what they do and how they do what they do it's you know good teachers paul hager talks about this seamless know-how of the of great teachers and actually what we know is that quite a lot of teaching is tacit uh, it's unsaid and when you ask somebody to explain it they find that quite difficult and they find it difficult because it's complex and and frank coffield talks about teaching learning being elusive so i'm interested in you know Uh, researchers in the classroom uh, really so let's come back to some examples of maybe and the OTLA project and I'd like to talk more about that because I think that the OTLA project has a bit of a cure-its-egg really Mm -hmm. so I I was an evaluator for the OTLA project up in the Northeastern Cumbria and I was working as part of a team there great great team sounds like Donald Donald Trump doesn't it great team but I was working with Claire Collins, Jean McNiff, Andy Convery, David Prin, and others, Guy Thurston and others. And, you know, some of the best work there, I remember Catherine Partland did some work on learning support and the work of learning support tutors and, and they tried to get inside some of the classroom practice. They didn't film it, but they tried to get inside some of it. And that was particularly powerful. Vicky Butterby, who uh, works with Claire now, she was doing some work around equality and diversity and some of those pieces were written up actually into uh, some journal articles for the teaching and lifelong learning journal that um, hud set um, which is part of my director's role um, they published and uh, um, but i would say that actually some of that otla, OTLA work wasn't particularly good in my opinion and i'm happy to tell you why if you want to talk about that because i think one of the key things for us to learn when we're doing research is learn from doing research. There is, a, We want to say what's good, but actually often the best researchers are people who learn from what they didn't do well and then have another go. And I think there are some important messages there that we should be spending more time talking about. Things didn't, didn't go so well, the messiness of research and what we can learn from that in terms of how we can support evidence-based research. That's a very long answer, but it's comprehensive, I hope.
2: Yeah, so actually, there, there, there's an impact in there, isn't there, in that good research kind of goes back and readdresses and looks at and isn't quite so messy. So, in, in essence, the impact well, could be back it, into it, the
1: research itself. I think, I think, to be straight with you, Alice, that good research may be messy. In fact, most teaching, learning and assessment is messy. Frank Coffield talks about that in his Beyond at Learning. So what I would argue that good research negotiates or navigates the mess, the human and contextual messiness of the site. So, you know, be careful. There is a danger here that we tidy up research. Michael Arant wrote, neat and tidy accounts of research are deceptive. So when I'm marking work, I look for what's gone well and not as well. If somebody tells me there's not a problem in their research, I immediately have have a concern because they've tidied it's almost like they swept it under the carpet and so how can i believe the rest of their account because they're not telling me you know most of my supervision experience is helping students work through the messiness sorry but this mess is a piece i've written about and it's you know it's an important part of research and researchers need to understand how it works and how to navigate it
2: yeah that that makes quite a lot of sense actually and um not, not too dissimilar from some classroom experiences as well that, that I've experienced over my time teaching, you know, that, that's um, on reflection, it's that turning the, the mirror back, like you just said, I, I'm thinking as you're talking, it's great. Um, so while you're kind of overseeing a lot of these researches, are, are you finding any particular topics and themes emerging um, on a regular basis? Uh, is it mostly about this answerism initially? or?
1: Well, it, it varies, it varies. It depends, I think, the 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 thing is the thing that shapes people's research is the amount of time they have to do it, Alistair. You know, so when you ask that question, if I'm doing it as part of a coursework on a PGCE program, then probably I'm going to go for something that's neat and tidy, quick and easy to do, because actually I've got to get 20, 40 credits in a very narrow piece of time. I don't want to go too badly wrong, because if it goes badly wrong, maybe I won't get a good mark and don't get a good mark. Do you see how where I'm talking about? Yeah. So it, it, it becomes rather technical rather than critical. Okay, answerism is technical research. Okay, that's James James work. Answerism, you know, and quite often I will say the other thing is there is a danger that we only do what I would call as management-sanctioned research. Joe, might remember we, we Sam Jones and I ran a workshop at the FE Reimagine a couple of years ago. There's a lot of discussion about brave research. and and people doing brave research and one of the things that somebody mentioned during the day and we wrote up about this in our piece and in fact i've written more about it in another piece is that you know quite often it's quite difficult to do what i would call the really important research because sometimes people won't allow you to do it because they don't want you to do it because it's going to raise difficult questions about what's going on do you know what i mean
2: yeah that that makes a, a lot of sense as well, and, and you know, also
1: from what I've seen
2: in experience as well, yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, what the danger is that our research is sanitised. It's sanitised by those people who approve it. It's sanitised by those who fund it. I mean, I've got a lot of educational freedom. I work at a university, I've got freedom of speech, and, and unless I'm going to do something that's highly risky, I pretty well can get away with most things, okay? As long as I meet the requirements of the ethical committee at the university. I've researched in prisons, I've been in a prison, very interesting experience. I went in with Claire Collins. We did some research there with Jane Wilkinson, one of Stephen Chemist's team. She helped us research practices in prisons. Now, we were trying to raise the big questions that chemists would say. You know, you know, chemists would talk about our research shouldn't be so much about solving problems, it should be making history, making changes for the better in the world. And I think, you know, that's the thing to navigate. And, And we're getting into that area about. You know what what goes on. You know, in a sense. So, I see some people are. In fact, I remember a piece I supervised. A BA educational professional development teacher, I supervised a year three student a few years ago. Very impressive piece of work done in quite an hour a narrow piece of time, but was really trying to develop student autonomy. You know, mm-hmm. from the highly needy. Can you can you tell me what to do, David? Can you you know, do you know what I mean? To trying to create that learner autonomy so they were better at managing their own time in that transition from a very highly regulated school environment to an FE environment where almost, you know, they are inebriated on the freedom of the timetable. Yeah. And it was a really, it was a fine piece of work. I gave it a first. And, you know, I don't mind saying, I get a nosebleed giving anything over 70. <laughs> okay. but, do you know why? Go on. Because quite often, it's very difficult to fulfill the requirements of the module in the time you're given. Because so much, but it's very, very difficult to do. And I I think one of the issues I have with research in ITE is, and and sometimes even M-level, and, you know, we can talk more widely about that and the idea of a research apprenticeship. But once you introduce assessment and assessment windows and academic calendars, you get into problems. It took me six years to do my doctorate. And I learned a lot in those six years. I really did. Yeah. You know, and and you know, we can talk about teacher development. The, the research on teacher development talks about, you know, it takes us about eight years to move from uh, you know, an, an NQT new teacher to become effective in the classroom. That's mm. Dane Goo's work, you know, Hargreaves and quote quoted. It. So it's not a question. It takes eight years to become effective in the classroom, and we generally stay effective until after about 23 years in the classroom. And I would argue that t- research is the same. Too much of it is constrained. It's constrained it's constrained by funding, it's constrained by time, and so it's very, very difficult to do well, to do really well, because it's complex, all right? And it's holding together all those different elements. Good research, sorry, good literature review, good research questions, well-chosen methodology, appropriate data collection methods, clear account of data collection, clear account of analysis and validation, drawing strong findings and conclusion. That's like a triple album. And how many triple albums get five stars? It's hard to do, to hold it all together because so much is going on. It's, it's a, yeah, anyway, that's my view. <laughs> it's a lesson.
2: It's, it's a messy um, process to, to go through again. Um, well,
1: yeah, yeah. And that's why, you, you know, it's hard to do so well because you're dealing with the, all those challenges of the methodology you've chosen and where you're doing the research, that like Nicole Mockler, the human and contextual messiness, and people dropping out of the study or the data collection not working or this changing or that changing. It's happening, you know, it's hard to get right. In fact, right is a science lab example. We're talking about classrooms, colleges, FE sector. It's hard.
2: Yeah, and, and you're right, you know, it's not a science, it's um, it's more of an art. And I think that leads us on to the question of how do you think practitioners can be supported in the workplace to do their practitioner research? Because if in order for it to be effective and and work around the constraints and all those other things obviously there's there's going to be um some things that can go in there to support even if it's not entirely perfect
1: well i would say there's a lot to create the conditions for fe based research to thrive and you know my father worked in fe from 64 to 94 and i worked in there 86 onwards and i i mean I, i'm still working i'm supervising people now so i've worked in the sector for a long time and i'm passionate about it Okay, you know, I've already mentioned that human and contextual messiness which shapes the research a lot and what happens. And I think that, I don't know if, whether you or Joe have seen that film, I Am Legend, oh, um, yeah. you know, with Will Smith in it, it terrified me. And what happened there was, you know, we came up with, they came up with a quick cure for a, a nasty disease which created a virus which killed lots of people and then they turned into mutants. And I think that you might say, "Well, this is a you know, terrible example, but the danger is of the unintended consequences of our actions. So for me, there are five things that need to be in place for FE-based research to thrive, to absolutely thrive, because FE is an ecosystem. Things feed off each other. You've got government policy, you've got the site, you've got the teachers, you've got all sorts of things going on. And if some of those aren't aligned, it makes it very, very difficult to happen. And you get into, I mean, I used to match up in one of my pieces where I talk about surfing the waves of messiness. And the thing is, if you don't get all the support, those waves get bigger and bigger. And when you get thrown off, it gets a bigger drop. So what are they? I'll talk about each of them quickly. Uh, first one's funding. Second one's research culture at the national and local levels. And I'll fill in these gaps in a minute. Research apprenticeships. Gene Murray introduced me to that idea. A staff disposition to be a researcher. It's not everybody's cup of tea. And that all types of FE providers are involved. So let's go back and look at those in a bit more detail and try to, to give you a, a, a better feel for what I, mean. um, I don't know if you were at uh, research, uh, reimagining uh, FE um, in 2018. Frank Colfield did the keynote. One of the things he said, FE gets a bucket load of cash I'm probably less next year, but then, you know, if, if you read F.E. week this week, but, you know, bucket load of cash. Where does it spend its money? Could it not allocate some of that for research? OK. And I mean, I, I leave this very privileged life at the university or so I have done until recently where I had time to research. I used to get one day per week as a full time member of staff to research. Now, be assured, you know, it's not easy. In fact, and it might astonish you this. But I had worked harder in HE than I did when I was in FE, and the reason for that is because of the pressure to be, produce my research. Unlike people in FE, you know, I have to publish; otherwise, I lose my job. Okay. Whereas in FE, people at the moment are doing it because they're passionate about it, but it's not a—it's not a—not a their job doesn't depend on. So I think you know, people need time, and they need a decent amount of time to do it because it's not easy to do. And I think that the ETF needs to reimagine how they support it and how they challenge what I would call the damaging practice conditions that exist within the sector. Things like funding, you know. I mean, the ETF is sort of, it's it's in a difficult position because it gets money from the DFE. So how do you go and tell the people who pay you that they need to sort out the conditions in the sector? You've got to be pretty brave to do that, you know. But I think it has a duty to do that. It has a duty to support the staff many of whom are paying membership to set, to stand up and say, you know, you want us to do this? You need to do this. And the AOC can't do it on their own. The whole sector needs to be united. So funding's first. Second, research culture at national and local levels. So the ETF have to create this national culture by their own staff modelling being research active. There's no point in the ETF leading research in the sector unless their key people are not researching themselves. Otherwise, it's you do it, but we're not. They have to do it. Okay, all of them have to do it. You know, when a, at the university, we're all research active. We're role models to each other. I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. Also, we've got to have down, that's the national level, local, level, you've got to have college leaders championing or leaders of organizations championing research. And I don't just mean saying, you know, you hear some money, get on with it. They need to be research active themselves. You can't have a research culture without leaders being research-active, okay? So, you know, and I've mentioned earlier about not having a a, a research culture that is just management sanctions. You can only do that. You can't do that. Look, if we're talking about being critical, you know, then we have to be able, as long as it's not dangerous or unsafe, we should be able, with an ethics committee, be able to do a lot more expansive research. So let's move on to that third one, the research apprenticeship and I remember reading Jean Murray's a teacher educator and she talked about people being apprentice researchers and I would describe myself now I'm postdoctoral, 10 years since I started it I am still learning how to do my research so I'm still making mistakes and what I would say is you know I've learned a tremendous amount from hanging out with people like Robin Simmons and Kevin Orr being able to go to conferences um, I remember going to a conference in Norway and you might say, well, you know, how can that happen in FE?" Well, that's for us to discuss. But I went on my own, you know, and I knew I, need, I knew I needed to go. It was an action research conference. If I was going to learn how to do action research properly, I needed to go because it was an action research conference. And I, I went there and Stephen Chemist and Wolf Carr were there. And it was part of my becoming, part of the way in which I acquired that concept of building, that know-how as a practitioner researcher. You know, um, Alan Bennett talks in Untold Stories, he talks about the grammar school board, all so taught how to think. And I've been taught through a research apprenticeship in Huddersfield, how to think as a researcher, and yet I've still got more work to do. You know, my, doing my edd, it was a disciplined exercise in reading, thinking, doing, and hard work as a researcher. And quickly, the final two, staff is this position it's not everybody's cup of tea, they don't all want to do it. But I do think we have to say, well, why not? Okay? I think it, for me, you know, if you're serious about your, your teaching, then you would want to become a practitioner researcher. And the other thing I think we need to see is a broad range. It doesn't just be FE, it's got to be ACL, offender learning, private training providers, sixth form, public services, the whole sector. OTLA has tried to support this, but my experience is the quality is uneven across the providers. And if, you, if it's just in AFE colleges, then I have concerns because it's not the whole sector doing it. It's just part of it. So it needs to be embedded and thriving. You know, it can't be just one-offs. I mean, you might get a chance to talk about the Bedford College group. work. That's great, but it's one college. How many others are like it? So there you go. I hope that's helpful, you yeah. know, so far. But that's
2: fantastic that that's um, giving us some really interesting stuff i can watch joe as well and uh, we, we mentioned that we can see each other while we do this every week and uh, watching joe frantically write things down while you're speaking as well and, and and smiling and getting quite excited so that's good <laughs> um and i think like the, there's one little question on here that i've got on my my list um which is to uh, to ask you for the kind of any key reading that you can recommend i think chemist might uh, um put in an key appearance reading,
1: here well how long's the list <laughs> give us a top okay. three right uh, oh goodness me how do you okay right Beer as close to practice report is a must read 2018 must read you yeah, totally. know you. i would if we're talking about uh, i would talk about chemist's work but i'm not going to send you to changing practice changing education i'm going to send you to the action research planner because it covers a lot of what chemistry covers in changing practice, changing education, but it applies it to that piece of work. And the other piece of work, which is hardly known at all, hardly known, is the work that was done, the largest study of FE-based practices, the improving learning cultures in FE, which was led by David James, Gert B. Esther, and a whole range of others. And, I mean, that's just the, the, the stark bit. But, you know, there's a bit in... And Louise Avery on Twitter, she's got a number of characters, one of which is Old Fox, and Old Fox is considered wise. And, and there's somebody put a tweet recently, and he said, I read books, that's what I do. That's how I know what I know. And I've got loads of others I could talk about. But I mean, you asked for three, you got three. I can answer questions.
2: No, I, think that's, I think that's quite good, actually. And and have
1: uh... <laughs> well, answered three. <laughs> Straight to the question.
2: It's Joe. Yeah. Joe's quite restrictive, you see. She, 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 oh, she, she wants she, you to be concise.
1: <laughs> but the thing, you know, that isn't that. The, those are the like the parameters. You've got five thousand words to do that, David. Eighty thousand word doctor. By the way, I went over my word limit. In my doctoral. It
0: doesn't surprise me.
1: It doesn't. Surprise. You know, yeah. But the, it was like you know, just a minute. The rules were as long as you don't repeat yourself, no hesitation, no repetition, and you're still a message. Well, I got away with it. Yeah. And I did 30,000 extra. Okay. Right. Good work. And that, there was a bit of a backstory there because I tried to transfer to a PhD from an EDD, but we couldn't do that last minute, so that's why it ended up so much better. You know, the yeah. thing is, you can't reduce complexity and messiness to sometimes three or no. 5,000 words or whatever. No, It's no, impossible. No, it's only the suggestion because we're trying to fit this under an hour. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I thought we were talking <laughs> all weekend. I thought we... <laughs> you what are you laughing
0: at? Next year, year. we'll do that next year.
1: Okay. Um,
0: Right, now, look, my question's now. And Now, I was gonna ask you about your vision for the future of FE research, but really you've kind of done that in your five step sort of thing. I'm slightly gonna reframe and say, David, I am waving my magic wand now.
1: Oh yeah, 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 go on. And
0: you, in the next 12 months, are gonna be totally in charge of FE research. Yes. Tell us what you're gonna do in the next year.
1: Well, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to get the DFE in my office. I'm going to get them in my office and I'm going to talk to them about how we, we not just me, they and I are going to transform the sector. Okay? And I'm going to set out my five points and then I'm going to ask them to come back and see me. I don't know, give them a month with an action plan that together we can work on to implement it. Okay. Do you remember that bit, Jerry Maguire? You, you must find maybe, do you see the film Jerry Maguire? yeah do you yeah. remember that moment we said show me the money yeah.
0: yeah
1: that's what i'd be saying i said show me the money show me the money <laughs> okay. show me the money so show me the money a
0: jerry Maguire moment
1: well we're, we're after holding them to account yeah okay that's what i'm about i'm not you know i know my research i can hold them to account because I know the research. I can take them and argue with them. And I would just say, you can't do that, can't do that. Here's an inconsistency here. Sorry, that argument doesn't hold up, okay? In the same way that the Guardian is holding the government to account over the coronavirus. It's that level of critical dialogue that I would engage with, okay? And I would just simply say, you cannot let down the majority of young people post-16 in this country. Because if you do, people are gonna judge you. Okay. History will judge you. Okay. And it won't be favourable if you don't step up here.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. I'm going to move on to our next question. Well, there
1: might be something else. But, you know, it is about, it is about being brave,
0: mm.
1: you know. Mm. Okay. What's next?
0: Well, well, I, I, before um, I came into this Zoom room with you, I oh, was yeah. in another Zoom room with a, you? a friend of yours. And I'm
1: going go clue. Go, go. go. clue. Oh, how many uh, clues have I got? He, go he
0: lives on Vancouver Island. Never. Yes, Bud Hall. I was. I Never. Bud was.
1: Hall. And All was, hail Bud Hall, and, and Paolo. He was
0: reading poetry to me. I mean there were others there, but you know. Oh, oh,
1: oh yeah. Now <laughs> no, <laughs> notice. Alistair, notice how Joe just gradually reveals the the account. It's all about the account, oh. telling us those little fine details. Because quite a lot of people would write that out. Then they think it was like a one to one. Thank you for your honesty, there, Joe. I trust you. No, Come on, but carry in on. in my
0: mind, it was just me and him. And he was reading right. poetry from Lawrence Ferlinghetti to, to Ooh. That, that, that Okay. Was brilliant. That was brilliant. Okay. Um. Anyway. But he was talking about some something he's involved in, which is about knowledge for change. It's about community and universities.
1: Yeah, yeah. Knowledge yeah.
0: And it kind yeah. of relates to next question, which is, you know, where do you see the relationships going between colleges okay. and universities? Colleges yeah. are part of their community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where should that relationship go?
1: Uh, okay, well, look, we've got we 've got to start with and and I have a huge amount of respect for Bud in lots of ways because he has challenged some of my thinking, and uh, you know that and that's when I respect people, not people who just agree with me, but people who make me rethink and i would I think probably I'd start off with we've got to recognize the ground we're on at the moment and how that shapes the current relationships, and that's a marketized and monetized relationship okay so Lincoln College, Alistair or ashton Form are in a partnership with a university. And that is based on money, basically, the, the charge between the two partners. Okay, Then, you know, and it might be the, there's a bit of history there or whatever, but that's your starting point. Now, as long as that's in place, it distorts the relationship. Because what happens is when money's tight, everybody talks about value for money, and you end up just trimming away and suddenly it becomes a Ryanair partnership doesn't it you know where you're paying for to carry something onto the plane which you'd like to take on anyway you know and I, when i went to seville i flew with ryanair so i know how to get everything onto the plane you know and, and and whatever but i think what we have to see is we've got to be more expansive and we've got to say you know is it all about money or is it about us creating a better future for people to live and work together now i'm going to use some examples from huddersfield because I'm immensely proud of the work we did, and I, not I didn't just do that. My colleagues, people like Roy Fisher, and um, uh, Denise Robinson, um, I, and other other people who who were doing that before, as direct as the director had this vision of trying to work as democratically as they could with the partner colleges. I know at the end of the day it was still money, but. Um, what we tried to do, for instance, is we tried to use some of the money that, through the partnership to recycle it into more cost effective staff development and support so that we, had, we could support all the teacher educators together. Because there is a danger when there's, I mean, we have about, I mean, I was talking as if I'm still director. My colleague Lynn Senior's taken over from me now, but, you know, about 50 to 60 teacher educators in that partnership. That's a big family. It's a clan, isn't it? And obviously you can go and get together in the social distance in time but you know to put on things for them together to create something that's bigger and i think we have to start saying how can we work together to support research and we're talking about research you know i've worked with sam jones at Ber- bedford college now that happened through happenstance really you know we ended up writing together you know but you know, I think people could, should be, could be working together and doing different things. I'll give another example of perhaps how they could be working together in teacher education. So there's a nice um, idea um, um, from um, Burstein, professor in residence. And it's an American term. So let's put that to one side. But the idea of professor in their residence, basically, Burstein was a teacher educator at a university and worked with their trainee teachers but they didn't work in the university they worked in a local college where the professor the teacher educator taught the classes so instead of teaching teacher education classes just in the university they also saw the teacher educator in the same way that tom russell did this at queen's saw tom russell teach the physics classes or the sociology classes in situ so they could see what i would call congruent practice in a setting you know, they could see how Tom or Bernstein handled mal- challenging behaviour rather than theorising it, you know. And I would like to see more of that within teacher education or research. Now, um, so I think it is, uh, um, you know, is trying to do that. Universities could support colleges with access to resources. They already do. But, you know, access to journals and whatever you know when we're talking about public money or students money we want to try and get the best value to get it to go as far as possible don't we so closer partnerships are important and i i mean it's tricky now i used to teach tourism years ago travel and tourism at stockport college and when I was teaching there, it was very en vogue was the idea of hubs and spokes, the idea that you had feeder airlines into the big transatlantic or international flights, and I think we should be looking more about what services or, or, or practices can be provided by the different elements in the local community, and how it can all hang together as a coherent and cohesive um, project of education.
0: Yeah, I think... Yeah, absolutely. I agree with all of that. I, I, um, I was talking to um, Professor John Diamond.
1: Do you know him? Oh, yeah, I, um, I think I. I don't know if I know him, but I think I've seen him. I think you have seen him on Twitter.
0: Yeah, right. And uh, we were talking about community and university relationships. Yes. Yeah. And that that largely actually it's lacking that it's very transactional between
1: it's money it's all about money
0: and yeah in the rhetoric around it in the um, agreements in the partnership conversations there's some nod towards it's about the people in the community
1: what you're talking about joe i think said was look there's there's a lack of congruence between what or between the rhetoric of the document and the actions so what i said was wilson in his trip to the antarctic in 20 1911 or 12 sorry you know with scott on wilson's sledge was a flag and that flag had res non verba which means as i said boris johnson could translate that for us things not words what people say is one thing well how they live out those languages is another okay all right and we you know as far as i'm concerned we can start tearing up documents it's what we do that matters mm-hmm. and there's too little of that congruence okay in this world and it makes me as my niece would say mad uncle david it makes me mad
0: it makes me mad and that's why i often call it out now you could have referred to the suffragettes Then deeds not words.
1: well i would absolutely and thank you for correcting me and if I, our artist barbie had been with us i imagine she would have corrected me too
0: she, she would have said that too, absolutely.
1: Yes, yeah. but um, it's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's the same thing. And from the same time, Joe, from the yeah. same period of time.
0: Yes, I think the, probably the women said it first. But anyway.
1: Of course. <laughs> We're not arguing yeah. with that, are we, Alistair? I, admit, I wouldn't dare. Then, Keep your head down, mate. Keep your head down. Okay. okay,
0: so my next question. Now, you are aware there are a number, there are waves of us involved in what I'm calling um, kind of movements, influence yeah, yeah. movements too. Yeah push FE research, the opportunity for okay. research to the fore, um, this podcast being one, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are things yeah. like BrewEd FE, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, research meets, things, other kind of meets that have got different titles, etc. Yeah, yeah. And then there's slightly more formal funded spaces like AP Connect. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, so, sure. So, sure. you know, what, what is all that doing? What do you think the impact of all of that is?
1: uh you've, you've served that on a plate for me haven't you <laughs> absolutely because i read the pale rider chapter you see the and and it comes back to what i said earlier impact you can only judge it impact at a distance okay now what you're asking looking for is a quick answer so here's what i'm going to say in response to each of them and hopefully and diplomatically get us to think about that so you and 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 the, 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 the bit in Pearl Ride, it's worth listening to for a moment this, because it's a great read, by the way, I would strongly recommend it, that at the end of the Second, sorry, the First World War, Mole, who was, a, I think he's a photographer, he got the troops organised, huge numbers of troops to create images, and he would stand on a tower. And he looked and he directed people into space, into these spaces. So, but you could, could only see the big picture at a distance. You can't see it up close. Everybody who's involved with it will tell you how wonderful it is. Of course they will. So here's the things to think about. It's very difficult to know. Yeah. And the questions I've got really is, what's the participation like? I think it's probably grown. I see a lot of activity. Though is it the same people? And are you measuring your reach? How do you know about your ego? And what have been your outputs? In, in the stuff at the university, people say, what are your outputs, David? So what? You know, and, how, and the other question I think we've got to ask ourselves, how sustainable is the model? You know, because at the moment, I get a sense of it's A lot of it's done through volunteerism. Mm-hmm. And volunteerism, Frank Coffield, I remember saying it in Huddersfield in 2007, is dead. Mm-hmm. And what he meant by that is that people haven't got the time to sustain things. They need to be paid. do it you know which is why he and fe partnerships are monetized so let's move on to some other stuff then talk about ap connect well i hear great things of it. great idea enthusiastically led you follow the twitter stuff you think you would think it's the holy grail you really would well the question i have is okay to what extent is it sustainable and transformative in the long run the long run because it's only the long run that matters really you can do these short-term solutions but if we don't change the world in the long run then what have we done and i would argue okay using stephen chemist of course that the practice architectures at each site and and you know and government funding will determine the success of the ap model so you can spend a day with josh cannon uh lou mycroft and that team have a great day and then you go back to college and it's suffocated and it's suffocated by the leadership practices or the other aspects of the site, the practice of the site, because it doesn't allow it to grow. OK, it doesn't sustain it. You know, and, you know, the question we'll be reading about it in 20 years time as a critical evaluation. You know, and I, there's, I don't know how much you know about the idea of policy learning and policy memory. but We've had APs before. Okay. In 2002, we had them at Calderdale College. I know because I was involved in managing them. Okay, and they've largely disappeared now. And they were a victim of funding cuts or staff moving into HE and not being replaced. And I can tell you exclusively for FE Research Podcast that AAB was an AP, Advanced Practitioner at Calderdale College, and she was a very good Advanced Practitioner. Mm. But she moved into HE. Yeah, because she wasn't paid enough.
0: There's a difference between the role of an Advanced Practitioner, which incidentally they don't exist in six one colleges. That's just so
1: you know, yeah, exactly.
0: But not everybody is called that on that program. They, they, but they still.
1: Have yeah, to play but, in that, you know. yeah. I, I, I think. I, I mean, I really, I'm, I am wedded, as you know, Joe, to the idea of practice architectures, and the idea is very simple, okay, that the practices of the project at a site, AP teaching, whatever you want to say, is shaped by the practice arrangements, and if the 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 environment is hostile. In lots of ways, you know, funding's insufficient, restructuring, whatever. How can that thrive? Mm. I think I think they're
0: thriving in in adversity, though.
1: But 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 can can yeah yeah. But but that it comes back to how sustainable. How long can someone sustain that? You know, and and you know, it's and I think that's why these big. I, I mean, I remember Frank Caulfield... I was at the launch of the, tw- the twelve dancing princesses in a pub in Liverpool, and I remember Frank Coffield talking. It was a night after the Tories had got in um, for the in twenty fifteen. You know, our heads were down. Uh, you know, and Frank said, "If we're going to change this, it's going to be a battle. Mm. Okay. It's going to be a battle."
0: Well, some of us are still in that battle.
1: They are, and but some people are supporting you in it. You be assured of that.
0: Soldiers. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, now you mentioned the dancing princesses so the third book is due out isn't it yes yes and i've written a little bit in that
1: oh yes tell me about that i don't know
0: i think yes i I think i write about i think looking back i was writing about archipelagos but we'll wait we'll wait Uh, okay
1: (laughs) archipelagos Um, that's right
0: so but my next question is about writing which is why oh
1: yeah oh yeah lovely
0: so coming up we've got our first ever virtual fe research
1: never never really i can't i'm on the edge of my seat
0: (laughs) And uh, the third day, of course, oh. is very much being um, honed by yourself, which is about writing. It's about getting yep. the scholars, the teachers, yep. lecturers involved yeah, yeah. in writing. But not everybody's been fortunate enough to get a mm. ticket
1: for that. Sold day. out.
0: Sold out in 24 hours.
1: That's right. And am I on the Sunday afternoon slot? <laughs> Stop laughing. Know, Alistair, she's know. always laughing at me. Stop her laughing at me. Come on.
0: And uh, so I'm just wondering if you might share some, okay, okay, for people yeah, who can't make it, yeah, sure,
1: okay, yeah. Well, I'll talk about a few things, and I, I'm, you know, and, and here's a sneak preview, but we'll have to talk about when it's released, really, because I don't want to, you know, just be saying the same thing, and people, oh, we've heard this, David, on that Put Research podcast, but. The thing that struck me, and it I starts with a conversation, really, Joe. You and I had a conversation uh, with Sue McGregor and then with Kerry about, you know, the, the, the old nutmeg of how do you get people to write? You know, I mean, it's the same in the university. How do you get them to write? And so there are two drivers here. The first is to try and introduce the project, a simple project of getting people to write 750 words about their experiences of teaching in COVID time. And we're going to give them a series of questions that are going to enable them, because they will enable them, because we've agreed them, haven't we, Joe? And Kerry's agreed with us. They're going to give them a series of questions. And I think let you, I gave you a menu, and you chose those pretty well, that, that are going to enable them to write about their work in a very easy way. And once you've started writing, you'll get confident, a bit more confident about your writing. We're going to do a bit of peer review in, you know, together so we see what each other's writing styles are like. Not to go through with the red pen or whatever, but, oh, yeah, well, you might want to think about this. Or I'm not, you know, I'm not absolutely clear when I read this. Okay? And, and, and we're going to try and do that, and we're going to try and publish something out of it, which is trying to try and document COVID time in FE, because I'm not sure anybody else is doing it, really. And what I mean by that is this, and I'm coming back to Laura Spiney's Power Rider. Um, one of the things that's fascinating about this book is that it's writing about a period of time which was heavily censored because of the war. So the large sections of it that are almost like blank spaces because there was no reporting of it the reason they, it was called spanish flu wasn't because it started in spain actually it probably started in the states or france but because of censorship there was no reporting in those countries about it but the only place in europe pretty well that wasn't censored was spain so they reported the cases of what they call the naples soldier okay and then they got blamed by france and america for for having it you know what's changed so okay now, the point here is that we need to document our times mm. with the belief that some will read about it in 5, 10, 15, 20, 100 years to better understand what it was like to teach in a time of like COVID. Mm. Okay? As, you know, we're, I'm going back to this book now. And I think there are a few things we will try to do by sharing loads with each other with more experienced writers. We're going to develop that. And I think that I'm going to go back to 12 Dancing Princesses because I had the great privilege of reviewing that book. Uh, before it was um, published and it is a, it is a great read I think it's a history lesson and a love letter to the sector That's, those were my words in my review and I think what we've got to do is I'm going to just quote from Joel Petrie who's a really a great friend and also a great hero for the sector because he stood up and tried to make this happen imagine what life would be without them and he said the act of writing about FV is to struggle and resist this is from page seven in the book. To write is to become. To write is to draw a map. So we're going to map the sector. We hope that others will travel in the spaces that the book begins to explore. We are role models for other writers in the sector. This is how to do it. Right. Okay. And and my and I go back to my friend Kevin Orr, who I worked with at Stockport College in the nineties. And little did I know when we bumped into each other then that about. 10 years later we would meet again and we are very very firm friends and i hold him in the very highest regard both as a teacher and as a researcher he is absolutely world-class and he writes in the coda at the end of that book he says writing can also be a form of resistance and he goes on to say our hope is that uh, that this piece of writing may also embolden others to write and defy, and then encourage them to organise and to dance. Okay, you know, and it's about you know writing is about challenging the dominant and damaging ideas about education. And Joe um, Lou Macrae talks about joy. Well, I think this could be about, or capturing both the joy. I think we've possibly got that in one of the questions, but also the difficulties. It's not been easy. That sharp emergency stop left turn into online teaching, mm-hmm. and it has to be documented because otherwise. Somebody else will cl- claim the narrative that it's been easy peasy, lemon squeezy, as my colleague James Avis would say, and then everybody lives happily ever after. Mm. Well, it hasn't been, okay? Yeah. And it's got to be documented.
0: Mm. Thank you very much. Um, I think we'll just move on to our final-, final <laughs> we'll, <question>. move <laughs>
1: we'll, move <laughs> we'll move on. we we'll
0: move on uh, to our final question really now, okay. uh, which is really just an open one, an open forum, which is your final key message really
1: okay well i'm going to do you know you, alistair and i'm just going to turn it a slight aside to you mate do you know when you used to have like those mega mix taps songs like sounds on 45 where you combine a series of songs and it was like seven songs in one seven inch single do you know what i mean alistair
2: yeah condense it all down yeah
1: that's right so this is from the slides in my session last week okay so it was a a talk from nine fifteen to 4 o'clock and these are some of the ideas that came up but i've got it into i don't know 15 20 words okay and do you remember joe that i was writing a piece about brave research yes
0: yes
1: that's going to come out we're in the final editing of that chapter now um, and you're going to hear a reference to it so And I think let's just preface this, because everything I say is based on what I already know. So you need to understand this. And that what I'm about to say, my message is this. You know, go back back to Frank. If we want to change the world, it's going to be a a struggle. But we're not saying, go out on a limb, expose yourself and get cut off. Absolutely not. Mm. No, join others, let's do this together, let's be solid. I remember here's another political message for you back in the 90s there were some big battles over union conditions okay and the uh, the old silver book and some of you might hear about it I don't know if you were ever on it but I was on silver book conditions which were fought for by people like my father okay and the, we fought you know and in 1995 when Roger Ward and people like the FEFC um, uh, tried to basically hooliganize, marketise exploit the sector they tried to trash our conditions and I remember a lad called Danny Cunningham he's our branch secretary at Stockport College where I was and Kevin was and Kevin was, and Kevin was a future branch secretary and Danny said we will go back to work together we will go back to work together so the words I'm going to say are about us going together you know how we're we going to do this together So here they are. Okay. Okay. And they're informed by Spike Lee, Bob Dylan, The Guardian, and the piece that Anya and I have written. Okay. Okay. So change is possible. Hope is power. Though when you speak truth to power, there's resistance. So let's keep hope alive by being 10% braver this time. There you go. No, a fantastic just... <laughs> ending <laughs> okay brilliant
0: brilliant and, we, and
1: we're going to get that made into a t-shirt we're, yeah
0: yeah i think women out of uh, chris they've
1: grabbed well things you're
0: things
1: right braver. yeah well yeah and i absolutely <laughs> you know i um, joe in the text we acknowledge sue cowley's 10% braver <laughs> because it shaped our thinking yeah. and, and 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 what i in the day school and um, what I said to people, if, if you don't mind me just going on for a little bit longer, because I think it's, you know, worthwhile, just me saying just a little bit more about that, because you're right, I, I, you know, and I acknowledge it. The point that sukali makes is that if we can actually be just a little braver. Yeah then small changes might actually happen that lead to further changes that then become significant changes. And we like Cowley's idea and suggest it might be a good starting place for us all, a 10% braver starting place. Yeah. So we've, you know, absolutely, you're right to call it. And, I, and, you know, sorry, I didn't acknowledge Sue Cowley's work there early on. And as, a, as somebody who's a researcher, I slap my hand, Harvard reference, APA, whatever I meant to, I should have done. Good call, Joe. As you can see, I don't mind critical friendship how's that
0: okay right well look thank you so much uh, for your time your passion your energy uh, everything today David. is that all right we're say, yeah we're gonna say goodbye now
1: are you um, Have i forgot to go home and do my dad's got, tea
0: you go and get your daddy's treat that's what you've got to go and do. Ha- yeah
1: you postponed it it's postponed yeah. it to later okay delayed but gratification very much. Uh,
0: okay. And bye-bye to alistair Bye-bye. We'll we'll
1: see you on... Yeah, ciao. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye -bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: You've been listening to the FE Research Podcast. You can follow the conversations on Twitter using the hashtag FE Research Podcast. Thanks for listening, and hopefully you can join us again soon.